Thank you, everybody. This is really a great honor. I, I spoke with Pastor Eric, and I said, you know, you're really, you're really uh, putting it on the line here, letting, leaving town and letting me take this pulpit. You know, you never know. There might not be a church here next week after I'm done. I'm joking. I'm here to, to function under his leadership, and his, his friendship to me uh, has been something great and significant. It really has and both he and Tammy have been friends to me and Jane. Jane and I just returned uh, a few weeks ago. How, how long ago? Two weeks ago, uh, actually on Sunday night from Turkey. We were in the nation of Georgia doing ministry, and it's really a, it's such a great honor to be there. I think this might have been the 13th time that we went there, or, or I, I can't remember, but we had a, a wonderful time. I'm just going to ask Jane to, to share a testimony, and uh, we'll get ready to Get into the word after that. Amen. 13th time in Turkey, not in Georgia. Oh, yeah. First time in Georgia. Um, we were ministering in Turkey for two Sundays, well, one weekend and then the Sunday after that, and um, we were just really blessed because the pa the church and the pastor were, and his wife that had been there for, we think, about 16 years, but it was their 10th year anniversary of the church, and we've been there every single anniversary um, except for the year of COVID. And they had a, a church retreat. And recently they've had three young Turkish Muslim kids come to the Lord at college age. And um, the, one, the one young man, he's just, when we met him, he had just been saved one month. And he probably knows more about the word than most Christians that I know. He just devours the word. And he will text Charles and ask him, questions like how do you even when did you even read that it was he's just it's just amazing he's so hungry and just the hunger that he had so he he had a friend that wasn't saved that he invited to the retreat and and he asked them can this young woman come to the retreat she's she's still not hasn't come to the lord and they said well she can come she's welcome but you know it's it's all about the Holy Spirit and the gifts, and if she's not, she hasn't given her life to the Lord yet, she might be a little uncomfortable. And so they just thought he wasn't going to invite her, and he did. And he texted them at midnight the night before the retreat, and he said, how come I don't see my friend's, my friend's name on the rooming list? So they said, okay, let's put her in. So she came, and she had never been in church. She had never heard anything, but he had been talking to her about the Lord, and um, during a prayer time, I, pr I was praying for her, and she said, yes, I've read the entire New Testament. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and you're not a Christian. And she said, and I definitely believe in the resurrection of Jesus. I'm like, okay. I said, would you like to become a Christian right now? She goes, I still want to think about it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I prayed for her, and I just had a word for her. And when I gave her the word, she's like, how did you know that? How did you know that about me? I said, I didn't know that, but the Lord knew that about you. And, it, of course, it was very impactful for her and, and the other words that she got during that time. And the day after the retreat, she called the pastor's wife. Oh, the pastor's wife was on a Zoom call with her doing some Bible study. And she said, I'm ready, I'm ready, I want to become a Christian. So that was just so exciting to be part of that. And the next Sunday after that, he brought another young college age, age woman, and she was also Muslim. I had never been in church before. And um, she, we found out later, she, she told someone through a translator, she was sitting there, and she said, well, I don't know how to dress. I know how to dress for mosque, 
but I don't know how to dress for church. I hope I'm dressed okay. And she's looking around. She goes, and she thought to herself, I wonder if it's okay to wear lip gloss in church. And she said, at that very second when she thought that, I took out my lip gloss and was putting it on. <laughs> and she's like, oh, okay. And I just think how funny God is that it was just releasing her to realize that church and Jesus is not about what we look like or do on the outside like some other religions are. So it was an exciting time to see this young man and these two young, and so it was the young woman who, there was two young women who got, he came, became saved. I can't remember the other story. Yeah. Not that girl with the lip gloss, but the other girl. She had already accepted the Lord. She had already accepted the Lord, yeah. but she wasn't at the retreat. She was. She was, okay. Yeah. So, and that through, through that, through eat, she had come That's to the right. Lord. So it's just, and they were all like literally weeks old in the Lord and so on fire and getting words from God and like, what is this? We've never experienced anything like this. When a Muslim comes in contact with the presence of the Lord, they just don't know what to think because they can feel the presence of God. They're very open to the spiritual realm and they feel the presence of God. And they will walk into the worship service and they'll, and they'll say, what was that? I never felt anything like that in my life. And they'll say, that was Jesus. That was the presence of Jesus in our worship because he comes and inhabits the praises of his people. Wow. So, you know, God shows himself to them. They still have to make that decision. And out of all of those, how many are, I think three of, they're all three baptized now, which is a huge step. It's so huge when you're a Muslim because that is the step that, that's when your family will cut you off and that's when you'll be ostracized. They will not officially, legally be persecuted but they because they're 18, they're over 18 and they can convert, but they will be persecuted probably by their families, but none of their families know they this boy told his parents he was going to a birthday thing. So they will not they're not officially persecuted by the government, but they will be persecuted with jobs and school and their family. So please pray for them as you if you think of them because this when their families start finding out that they've become Christians, that's when the, you know that's when their faith will really be tested. But thank you for um, having us today and we're just honored to be here. Thank you. It really is a joy to see that happen. It's a joy and, and to be able to see the hunger on their hearts. And I want to, I want to say this, that uh, young believers there, they're the strongest evangelizing force. They bring more people. They, they, they want more people to come to church. They want more people to ask questions. And that's so refreshing when that happens. So thanks, Richard, for sharing this uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 verse, because I was thinking about it. Uh, Doug and I are going. And by the way, she, she called me Charles, if you heard that. that that's okay. After living in Asia for so many years, they're very formal. So they, they don't like nicknames as much as they really like to treat you formally. So actually, uh, they call me Pastor Charles Curtis, not just Charles, but Pastor Charles Curtis. When I met Pastor Charles Curtis, Pastor Charles Curtis said this to me, and Pastor Charles, well, like, like that's my name. But anyway, that's, that's why Jane was uh, addressing me on, on that formal basis. But we're, we're going, Doug and I are going, like, like the scripture says, um, and so, so are Eric and, and Tammy and the team. We're going to the, well, the King James or the New King James says the uttermost parts of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. 
Uh, Doug and I are leaving tomorrow to go to, uh, to Kathmandu, Nepal, and we're going to uh, a place called Poker in Nepal. And we won't get there until Thursday. So that, that, that constitutes um, the uttermost parts of the earth, I want to tell you. And it's a culture distinctly different than our own. So totally, totally different than our own. But it's the same family of God. It's the same believers in Christ. So I have to say that Doug and I are prepared um, to, to teach some material. It, it was my heart to be able to equip some pastors and leaders that we're going to be in contact with. And we've been studying and working towards teaching on First and Second Timothy. Maybe I'm not going in a linear capacity. Doug, Doug is a verse-by-verse guy. I, I, I looked over his shoulder at, at his copious notes. He's constantly working while we're at their home. And uh, it's just been just been amazing to watch him. But we're sharing material that's going to help pastors and strengthen them as leaders. And that's really a, a, another great honor. And if you pray for us uh, after we get back uh, on November 15th, on November 30th, I'm making a brief trip to Borneo, which is another uttermost parts of the earth. I mean, I, I, I can tell you stories if you want to hear about it, and I'm not going to do that now. But uh, Jane and I have had a relationship with this church for so many years, and they asked if we could come in September, but we really couldn't make it. They, they're, they've been a, a church that's been in an upper, upper storeroom uh, facility for so many years, and now they've built a huge, huge church because they are growing exponentially. And they, they wanted us to kind of be there to just see what they have done and, and to be able to, to be join in on the celebration. So that's, that's really a great honor for me. And I'm going to be doing that separate from Jane this, this time. So anyway, just thank you for your prayers and thank you for that, everything along those lines. Uh, I just want to say also we just have loved being in Doug and Mary's home and uh, our sister-in-law Nancy there, Pastor Nancy, because uh, her and her husband are um, pastoring a church in Norfolk. And uh, being with Doug and Mary, I want to say something about them. You know, when Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom is a servant of all, I think that they qualify for this. I really mean that. Yeah, that's that's great. You know, uh, at, at Doug and Mary's house, not, there's nothing... That's too little or too big to ask of them. Nothing is a bother for them. They're just constantly trying to serve and make us feel so comfortable. We love being in their home. I have to tell you that. And I tell them that, but I, want you to, I wanted you to hear that too, to honor them. Jane and I love coming to their home, not just because it's Cape Cod. We, we would come if it was Omaha, Nebraska, with their heart of serving and, and loving and family. So, okay, is everybody happy? I have something to share from the Word. Are you okay with that? I won't be really long. Uh, it's just about two hours and 20 minutes of material here. So just hold on to this. I have a very exciting title to give to you. Here's, here's the title, Exposition. <laughs> Isaiah 40, verses 1 and 2. Just two verses of Scripture, Exposition. What does the word mean? It means to bring to light, to bring out into the open. To exposit means to, to bring to light an understanding. And this is, this is my delight as a, as a speaker. And I know Pastor Eric is the same. Uh, we are expository preachers. We like to build verse by verse by verse and teach the word. 
So I have this to share with you, and if you have your Bible, I want to ask you to follow along, because I'll be uh, on the screen. I won't be constantly looking at Bible verses, but we'll have some, some points. Let me talk to you about the book or the prophecy of Isaiah. Some Bible teachers have said this about Isaiah, that the, the book of Isaiah is the Bible in miniature. The Bible in miniature. It's fascinating. And it's also been called the gospel in the Old Testament. Why is it the Bible in miniature? Well, there's some amazing similarities. Scholars have come to this conclusion that the Bible has 66 books. Isaiah has 66 chapters. Now, those 66 chapters were not written by Isaiah. Chapter delineation happened from scholarship, and I don't remember who it was who, who did this, but took the, the Bible and just so it could be in digestible forms. But God sovereignly put this together. These first 39, uh, the first 39 books of the Bible are the Old Testament, and the next 27 are the New Testament. Well, similarly... The book of Isaiah, the first 39 chapters deal with God's law and his dealing with a singular people, the people of Israel. And uh, it, was, it was dealing with disciplining them and their breaking of the law and judgments. But Isaiah chapter 40, which is where we're going to begin, marked a distinct difference in the prophecy of Isaiah. And it was a revelation of God's grace. Uh, it, was a, it was a revelation of Christ, the Messiah, and his coming kingdom. And that's what we're going to talk about. So just think, Isaiah 1 through 39, dealings and disciplines with Israel. Now chapter 40, chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. And we'll just read it from the screen. 1 and 2. And it says these words, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Let's just pray briefly now. Father, we ask that you would touch our hearts and our minds with the deep truths of your word. Lord, I, I dare to believe that you will transform us and change us with these words not only from your word, but from the history of the people of Israel. May we see ourselves in the mirror of your word and receive encouragement, life, and strength from these words, we pray in Jesus' name. Isaiah 40, 1 and 2. It starts with these words, comfort, comfort my people. You know, God speaks comfort and tenderness the word in Hebrew really means speak, from, I'm speaking to you from my heart. This is the way God speaks to us, from, from his heart. And he delights to speak from his heart of tenderness and love and compassion and, ten, and, and, and gra grace towards us. He says these words, speak comfortably to Jerusalem, speak tenderly and cry to her. Interesting. Speak tenderly, but then cry. This word cry really kind of means to cry out. Do you know in ancient cultures, really, uh, up until um, e even a, a century ago, there was this concept of people who cried out news. My dad, my dad, by the way, was born in, in, uh, in Boston. 
he still had a, his whole life, he had a Boston accent and uh, he said hoff and hoff and he said things like that. And, and uh, so I have, I have a little Massachusetts heritage, you know, but my, my dad, um, he grew up during the depression. He, uh, he was at 10 years old, he was selling newspapers. I just, when I thought about my dad and all of his, his life of hard work, I really, I just really felt real, real sad that he, he had to sell newspapers as a little boy and brought all, home all the money. It was just coins and he gave it to his mother so that they could get through the week. But my dad told me the way to sell newspapers was you, you shouted out the news, you shouted out the headlines so people would be interested and they would buy. Well, prior to newspapers, they had something called the town crier. And in ancient days, they had those who would cry out in public, sharing the news. Some tragic news, mostly difficult news was being shouted out, or there were other good news uh, statements that were being shouted out publicly. Why did they do that? So people could hear it, and people could pay attention, and people could uh, get on board with what was happening societally in in culture. And you realize this, that the town crier spoke with gusto. He spoke with volume. You know, the Greek word for preaching is, it, it, it gives this implication. It's the word caruso. Caruso means to cry out, to announce, to, to, to shout out. Now, while I'm doing that right now, some people have had a little criticism when there's preachers who get all fired up and they start really raising their voice or enunciating words or pausing for effect. Some people have criticism towards that and say, come on, do you, do you talk like that at home? You don't talk like that at home. You know, Jane, give me my coffee. You know, I don't talk like that to her. Of course not. You know, I don't talk like that. But the word Caruso means, it means to, to draw attention to something. It would be rather boring for you to sit here and hear me speak, comfort my people, cry out to her that her warfare has been accomplished and her iniquity is pardoned. And it would be rather boring if I had no timber or volume or nothing to draw attention to the thing that we're trying to draw attention to. That's God's word. So they, the crying out was this, tell them this. Tell the people of Israel this, the war, their warfare is over. Their warfare has been accomplished. The war is over. Just say that right now. The war is over. The war is over. Well, what war, what warfare were they were talking about? Well, we'll, we'll get into that in a moment. But you know, when, when war is, is over, when, when a war ends, something happens uh, in the land. Now, just to tell you a little bit about my dad and mom, my mom grew up and was born in New York and grew up in uh, New York. They lived in Long Island City, New York. And my dad, um, he was a Navy man during World War II. He was on board the USS Missouri, which was the ship where the Japanese people surrendered, where the Japanese delegation came on board General MacArthur was on board. They signed the Articles of Surrender on board the ship. My dad was on the ship 
when they were signing the surrender of Japan. And uh, by the way, I, I don't have bucket lists, but uh, I, do, I do want to see the USS Missouri, which is dry docked at Pearl Harbor. I want to see that someday. And that's really on, on my heart. But, uh, and we were gonna go during COVID. We, we had a trip, we, were, we had ministry in Hong Kong, and uh, I actually bought a ticket to come back and spend a couple of days in Honolulu and uh, just on the way back, but it didn't work out, but it might happen at some time in the future. Amen. But this is the story I, I'm here to tell you. My dad, after the war was over, uh, his ship, the, the, the United States, the president, um, President Truman sent that ship around the world on what they call the Goodwill Tour. And they went to various ports just celebrating the victory that the war had ended. And that ship came back to New York City my, my mother and her girlfriends, they didn't know anyone on that ship, but they wanted to go down there and meet these cute guys in the Navy uniform. And they were, they were all, and by the way, I'm full Greek. If you didn't know it, I'm actually part Spartan, if you couldn't re recognize that already. But uh, my mother and her, her, uh, her friends, they were all Greek young ladies, and they, they went down to see uh, the Navy men. And so the men came off the ship and they were handing out signed uh, photos of the USS Missouri. And they looked on the back of the, uh, of, of the, of the picture and they saw the name of my, uh, my father, George, and my name was changed before I was born. It was Kutharides, Kutharides. And I, I, there's a long etymology of that name, but I'll just tell you that when they saw that name, the, 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 my, my mother and her girlfriend said, hey, here's a Greek guy. You know, I mean, Greek girls wanted to marry Greek guys. They were very ethnocentric a century, you know, a generation ago. And so they, they, they kind of spoke out and said, hey, which one of you guys is Greek, you know? And my father, you know, said, hey, it's me. And um, anyway, lo long and short, my mother and my father met and they fell in love and I'm so glad they did. <laughs> did you get that? <laughs> Of course, I wouldn't be here, right? But that's, that was the, the story of the war over. That's how uh, my family began. What happens when a war is over? Peace prevails, freedom from fear. You know, these people, these dear people in Ukraine now, they're living in fear. We, we have a young girl that we know well. We've been to Ukraine um, so, several times, and a young lawyer uh, that we know, and she said in Kiev, in the city of Kiev, she said in a text to us, bombs are flying over our heads. Bombs are flying over our heads, and they're landing not far from us. I mean, th these people are, are under trauma. But when a war is over, there's this, you can lay your head on your pillow and not worry about, uh, about bombs falling and about all these kinds of troubles. The, the, the nation, the, the, the war, the devastation of war gets, uh, starts to get rebuilt. Buildings get rebuilt. Uh, I'm thinking about this war in Ukraine. Billions and billions and billions of dollars of destruction have happened. What, what, how is this, how is this going to turn around? Well, I'm not here to talk about that, but uh, another thing happens is men get married, men and women get married because men come home. And that's what happened in my story that I shared with you. Financial prosperity gets returned. Uh, people start getting back to work and making, making money in jobs and security and hope for the future. I'm here to tell you 
that the warfare of your sin and the warfare of Satan's dominion has been defeated by Jesus on the cross. Somebody say amen. Jesus said it is finished. The war is over. It is over. Jesus holds the victor's crown. He's crowned with the victor's crown, and it's all over. Uh, and, uh, you know, when, uh, when the United States went to this place called Iwo Jima, if you know anything about the story, they planted the flag, the famous photo of them planting that flag. They planted that flag in victory, but the enemy still fought and fought and fought. But the declaration was this island belongs to the United States of America or to all that we're aligned with. There is victory here already. The enemy is attacking, but he's already been defeated. Somebody say amen. It's the truth. And uh, here's a brief, brief illustration. I was in the Philippines and uh, somebody told me this story and I researched it and found out the entire story about Uh, about what they shared with me. When I was there just a few years before, on an island called Mindoro, off of Mindoro, one of the southern big islands, there was a small island where a um, a Philippine fishing boat uh, lost power and their boat broke down. They drifted onto this island, this little small couple acre island. When they pulled up to the island, They were met with a man in tattered rags with a gun in his hand pointed at them. And what they realized was this was a Japanese soldier who was there on that island. That Japanese soldier, the truth of this story is he was still fighting World War II in his mind. He pointed the gun at them and they had to say to him, Sir, you know, put your gun down, sir. They, they, they were able to communicate with him somehow. And they told him the war has been over for 40 years. Well, they, when they finally could convince him, and I don't, I don't remember the, all the details. It's been a while since I, I, I remember reading the story. But when they were finally, or when he was finally convinced, I believe by Japanese authorities, he wept like a baby that he lived and defended that island for Japan for 40 years. He actually had, he had another uh, soldier with him who died. He was still in his military rags and his musket still worked. And he lived off of fruits and fish off of that island. Well, what a sad story. But that's the story of our adversary, the enemy. The war is over. If he comes to attack you, you announce to him, put your weapons down. The war has been over for not 40 years, for 2,000 years. Somebody say amen. Come on. The war is over. And tell her that if you look at verse 2, tell her that her iniquity is pardoned. What what is pardon? What, What does the word pardon mean? It it really means to be forgiven of offenses, actually to be legally forgiven from from punishment that is justly due. And uh, this is what God was saying to the people of Israel, and this is what God speaks to us in the gospel. Now look at verse 2. If you have your Bible, it says this. Tell her, maybe, maybe Greg, if we could go back. Let's see. Oh, there it is. That's all. Tell her the bottom, the bottom part, portion of the verse that she has received from the Lord's hand double 
for all her sins. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This is what we want to concentrate on just a little bit more here. The word double, you know, it has traditionally been understood by, by, uh, by some scholars to mean uh, twice as an adjective, to mean twice that she received, Israel received two captivities. Can't go into this in, in terms of Bible history, but two times that they were enslaved. Actually, there were, there were multiple times, but two major enslavements that they received. It, 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 was, uh, it has generally been understood by some Bible teachers that Israel received a double punishment for all of her sins, but now it's, it's all over. But some careful research by Bible teachers has revealed something absolutely beautiful, and it takes some notes from culture and history. Now listen, the word double is not an adjective. It is actually a noun. The word double is a noun which means the double. She has received the double. And the word is a Hebrew word, kafar, which actually, kafal, which is actually a verb, but uh, the word means the, f the state of something being folded over. Now I've got a little scrap piece of paper I pulled out of Doug and Mary's scrap paper. Doug, please keep your phone on. That's, that's what it says here. Anyway, I just used it to write some notes here. <laughs> Jane sends me those kind of notes all the time too. So here, here I, I just folded it over when I was writing my notes just to write a couple little extra cheat notes here during my preaching. This is the double, the state of something being folded over. Here it is. It exists. And the understanding this uh, some Bible teachers have drawn out something absolutely beautiful. Let me share it with you. In Israel, if there were a situation where a family were hopelessly, hopelessly in debt, they would do something. They would write their debts on a goat skin. And they would take that goat skin, write everything, all their financial indebtedness, and they'd articulate it all out on a goat skin, and they would post it on their gate of their property, on the edge of their property. And they, they would just tack it there for everyone who would pass by to read it to see how deeply in debt. Now, why would they do that? Well, the, the last thing that would happen before indebtedness in Israel was not they'd repossess your car, they, they, they not only take your house, they take everything in the house. The furniture, the, the uh, pots and pans, everything, the beds, everything. Then when they were done with that, they would take your children. Ruthless creditors would take children and they would sell them off as slaves to pay off the debts. So this was a state of great desperation to write all your debts because the last resort, this is it. If, if no, nothing else happens here, my children, my home, my everything that I own is going to go away. And when they wrote their debts, people would see it posted on the property. Why? They had hopes that there would be a merciful 
relative, some uncle, some wealthy relative, or some merciful person, a benefactor who would see this and say, I'm going to help. I'm going to help them. And sometimes it was multiple people, but on certain occasions, it would be one person who would take, and they would take that goat skin and they would announce to, to, to the community, I'm going to take all of these debts and I'm going to pay them and make good on them. And they would, they would go from business to business, wherever it was, and they would pay and they would pay and they would pay. And when they were all done, they would, uh, after paying off all the debts, they would, they would come back and they would uh, take that and sign their name on the bottom and they would double, they would fold it over and they would write on the outside these words, paid in full. Paid in full. Now, there was something that would take place at that moment that everyone who saw it realized these, these people are no longer in debt. But no one could take a look inside now and see. What, 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 I wonder, oh, they were in debt that much? They shouldn't have gambled that much at the, yeah, the casino. They, you know, reading all of the debts, it was no, no longer legally possible because paid in full, it was folded over permanently. Now, how many can see some Bible imagery here for us as believers in Christ? Say amen. Have your sins been paid in full? They, they have been. They already have been for everyone, for the whole world. It just is dependent upon those who have received Christ and understand and know what has been provided for them by the blood of Jesus. Sins have been paid in full. Let's, let's talk about sin and our debt before God. You know, the Bible, the Bible tells us this, that all have sinned. We know this. This is one of the Bible memory verses. Russell gave me a book uh, on Bible memorization. This is one that we memorize in Bible school. Romans 3.23. You got to memorize Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23 if you're really going to be equipped to do evangelism. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Simple verse to memorize. All. That's every one of us. You're looking at a sinner right here. Look at somebody next to you. Don't, don't, don't uh, tell them that they're a sinner, but that's what the Bible says about all of us. We are sinners who have been saved by grace. Say amen. So Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So we are all sinners. You know, it's not really popular. Sin is not really a popular thing to, to preach on. We hear a lot of success messages. We hear a lot of self-help messages in pulpits. And we want, we want to hear happy messages, but I'm going to tell you, it's a happy message, but it's the bad news first and the good news comes after that. Say amen. You know, uh, there was a time when uh, we were, I was a pastor in, in a place called Brentwood, Tennessee, and it was a huge church, and uh, their, their children's pastor, I don't remember what happened, but they, they took leave, and they asked me to, to, to help take over. I thought, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. I, I, I didn't want to. I felt, I felt diminished in my dignity, you know, but uh, 
I learned something, by the way. If you can teach children, you can teach anybody. It's really true. They have short attention span. You have to use illustrations. You got to get them, you got to keep them interested. Well, anyway, I taught these children. I said this, boys and girls, tell me, how many of you know how to spell the word sin? And they all yelled out, S-I-N. Simple, right? Three, three letters, S-I-N. I said, I'm going to give you a new way to spell sin. So I saw some of the assistant teachers. How is he going to spell sin? Three letters? How is he going to spell it differently? I'm going to spell sin differently for you, boys and girls. And this is the way I spelled it. And this is the way I want you to remember it. S, and if I was teaching in children's ministry, I had a huge font that came up next on the screen. Capital I N. S capital I N. See, there's a capital I in the middle of all your sin and my sin. You know, the idea that Robin Hood does good for others, robs from the rich to give to the poor. Sin is always self-seeking. Sin is capital I. Well, Jesus came to take care of the sin question. And when we understand our sinfulness, wow, Greg, it says time's up on the back. That's, that's a dangerous thing to show to me. Would you just give me just a few minutes? Would that be okay? 11, 11 commandments for pastors. Do you remember number 11 is thou shalt not bore? Amen. So if, if it's boring, please get up and leave. But just a few more minutes. Our, our sinfulness has been taken care of by the blood of Jesus Christ. And what will be your response and my response to receiving Christ's forgiveness paid in full? Well, we're called to walk in the liberty that God has given to us. Here, here's a Bible verse I'm going to give to you. I, I don't think I'm going to go through any more of the, the screen here. So maybe you just blank it out. And, but one, one of the blessings of redemption is this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him, in Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in him, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. In a sense, this idea folded over has this idea of something being sealed. Do you know what was a seal in ancient times? It was wax and it was stamped upon by, by an ancient king or a nobleman. And that, that seal could not be broken. It was illegal for anybody to break that seal. Well, in, moder in modernity, we have a, is this an offering envelope? This is not an offering envelope, it's a card. But just, just think, an envelope. Just imagine right now, I write a letter to my friend, Doug Brown. Yes, he is my friend, he's my brother-in-law too. And, uh, and we, we've, we've gone to Nepal two times and we're still friends and, and we're still going back. So it's really working for us, thank God. But anyway, if I write a letter to my friend, Doug Brown, I write his address on there and then in the upper left-hand corner, what is it? The return address, my home address. Put a stamp on it, right? Put, put my letter in the envelope and then and seal it, correct? Put it in the mail. Now, when that thing goes in the mail, there is a legal obligation of the U.S. postal system to deliver that. 
to my friend Doug. And it's also the property of me who wrote the letter and the one to whom it's addressed to. Nobody else can tamper with it. The United States government can if they suspect some foul play or something criminal taking place. They have that authority. But, of course, they generally don't with the largest of all mail. All sealed mail gets to its intended place of delivery. So between me and Doug, we've got a contract with the United States government. And it costs 58 cents to do that. And it goes between me and him. That's who you are in Jesus Christ. You're under seal by the power of Jesus' blood and his redemption. There's protection. You're God's property. No devil in hell has the authority to tear this thing open and start messing with you and your salvation, your victory in Jesus Christ. You are complete in him. You have all the, 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 the thing that God has promised. It's all yours. You're sealed. Somebody say amen. All right. So... This, this, is, this is the great blessing of the double. Your sins have been folded over, sealed, forgiven, paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you've never received this, if you've never received Christ, this is so important. Let me, let me close with a couple of thoughts. You know, I, I share this that um, in, in a different Bible teaching. God has the power and he has the ability to remember. God remembers the, 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 every deed of service, every sacrificial thing that you've ever done in his name, he remembers. God remembers. Every prayer you've prayed for someone else, there's a reward for that. Do you know that? You're amassing a reward every time you do something selflessly in the name of Jesus. If you, if you hold the door for somebody, there, there's some selfless act. If you let somebody merge in traffic, if you just do it in the name of the Lord, if you withhold your, your tongue from, from, uh, from speaking your mind, but rather speaking tenderly like from your heart, if you withhold, there there's a reward. There's a reward. There's a reward. It's happening all the time. God remembers. The Bible also says to us that God forgets. God forgets. Now, what does that mean? God forgets. The Bible says, I'll give you, I'll give you several verses. If you want to write them down, you should read these on your own. Isaiah 43, verse 25. It is I who sweep away your transgressions, your sins for my own sake and remember your sins no more. Remember no more means forget. I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. Jeremiah 31 verse 34. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Here's a theme of scripture. God says, I'm not going to remember your sins. Say amen. amen. Now, if, if God doesn't remember them, then we need to let go of them because for some sometimes there are nagging, 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 shameful, degrading thoughts that try to rob us of our victory. Feelings of failure, maybe not even sins, things that just didn't turn out the way you hoped they would. Failure, dis, discouragement comes upon our, upon our hearts. But the Bible says God forgets our sins. Now, what does it mean? Does God get amnesia? He can't remember? Or is it like this, you know, Jane and I have a disagreement and I'm in the wrong. 
which happens a lot. And uh, then I just say, I I'm really sorry, Jane. I said that or I did that or I forgot that. I do a lot of forgetting things that she wants me to do. I'm so sorry. Oh, okay, forget it. You know, just forget about it. What it really means, and, and honestly, she forgets and we forget. And uh, when, when you forget about, say, forget about something, what does it mean? You can't call it to memory? Sure you can. But what it means is this. That thing that happened that you got forgiven for, it has no power over our relationship. It doesn't, doesn't hinder our relationship. Now, of course, we have this little saying in America, you know, in Western culture, probably it happens in every culture, I'll forgive you, but, but I'm not going to forget it. I'll forgive you this, I'm, I'm not going to forget it. But that's not forgiveness, amen? I'll forgive you means to forget and make it powerless. God forgets our sins. May we have the empowerment of God's grace to say, Lord, if you forgot them, if you don't hold them accounting to me, you folded this over, you've paid it in full. It's been done by your blood. Jesus, I want to walk in the freedom that that brings for me. Say amen. Let's stand to our feet and let's have prayer. You know, if you've never received the Lord, or maybe you're far away from the Lord, you need to take heed to these words of Scripture. That Jesus has blotted out our sins. He said it is finished. And if you've never done this, you need to make peace with God just through the simplicity of saying, Lord, I receive what you've done for me on the cross through your resurrection, I receive it. Forgiveness of sins, forgetting of sins, paid in full, if you've, if you've never done that. And if you are a believer in Christ, just turn the page to that place in your heart and camp out there. Your sins, I'm not telling you this on my authority. If you are a Christian, you've received Jesus, your sins are forgiven and they are no longer held against you. All your failures, all your disappointments, your regrets, things you wish you didn't do, they may not be even sins of commission. They might be sins of things you, you didn't do that you should have done. Just let them go now in the power of his presence. You're sealed. You're protected. You're washed by his blood all of these beautiful metaphors of Scripture for us. There can be no greater security than what Jesus has done for us. So, Father, thank you for everything. Thank you for your presence in this place today. And I thank you for this family of God. Thank you for living hope. Lord, Father, may you continue to make us ambassadors of this message that we can tell other people you don't need to live under this, that Jesus did pay it all. Lord, would you bless this spiritual family. Thank you for Pastor Eric and Tammy. Strengthen them and encourage them. Pastor Emilia, Lord, and Claudine, Lord, strengthen them, Lord, to lead and to, to govern this church in the, in the way that you, you would dictate and delight, Lord. Thank you for all these leaders and elders in this church, Lord. 
that have served you sacrificially. Reward this church, Lord. Lord, as we go out this door, may there be freedom and liberty in our hearts because of everything you've done for us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.